having a conversation with Marco Triano, and uh, we were just kind of going back and forth about, you know, what is God speaking to me and what's God speaking to him, and it was really encouraging. And, and he was asking, you know, where, where are we going after last week? And so I was telling him that we're going to begin this morning on speaking on spiritual gifts. And um, I'm going to, I say all this to give credit because he asked this question that uh, was rather, rather pointed in the moment. And he said, he said, why is it, um, oh, I can't, actually now I can't remember exactly how he said it, but essentially what he said is, what, what would the church do? What would we do if Jesus was present with us in bodily form? What would we expect him to say and what would we expect him to do if he was here with us? And I thought, well, that's an that's a excellent question. And Because then he followed up, he said, because Jesus is with us when we gather. He's present here by his spirit. And I say that to open by saying that we somehow have compartmentalized, if you will, the work of the spirit from the person, maybe from the other persons of the Trinity, or from other works that the Spirit of God does. But the reality is, is as we have already experienced this morning, which actually I was really blessed by just how the Lord was present with us in such a tangible way through our singing this morning. But the reality is, is that God is present with his people. And as we look back historically, which we won't do this morning, but again, we consider the garden, we consider his people of Israel and how he was with us, with them, and we consider what will be in the clear picture that John gives us in Revelation, why would we think anything different than he would manifest his presence with his people now? He has been a God of presence always, and he will be obviously one day for eternity where we will be with him. And, and so I just want to say this morning, church, again, as we gather, God is here. God is present. His spirit is present, and therefore, we must anticipate, expect, desire, and be filled with faith for whatever his spirit would do, and how he would choose to speak and to move upon his church. Can you agree with me in that regard? Wonderful. So I'm going to, as I said, begin a series starting this morning on spiritual gifts, and we're going to look at this together. I want to just talk about over the next number of weeks what they are, whose they are, who does the gifts belong to, what their purpose is, why has God given them to his church, and examples that we see within scripture as to how they function within the church as well. And I think what I want to do this morning with the time that I have is try to hopefully help to bring some clarity to where there's not been correct thinking. And I, we have to be in, begin by just acknowledging as well that there's probably a really wide spectrum in this room represented today of experience the manifestations of the Spirit. Some of you may perhaps have grown up being taught that the works of the Spirit, as we'll talk about and as Paul talks about, in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, those works ceased when the apostolic, the, the early apostles, ceased themselves. And that there's actually no more works of the Spirit. Some may have grown up in a, in a context or experienced at some point in your life 
um, a context where they actually were common uh, and were regularly seen. Or perhaps even some here in this room, it was common, but it was maybe seemingly at times extra-biblical um, or unhealthy. Um, and there might even be believers in this room who are new believers that actually have heard and have wondered and aren't quite certain what is this kind of mystical thing of the gifts of the Spirit and prophecy and tongues and words of wisdom and insight, etc. So I think that's important as, as we process this together. And what I'm going to ask all of us to do, regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, is to look with a, with a fresh sense of faith and eyes, if you will, upon what the Lord, because as I have hope, hopefully laid a, a clear and solid enough runway up to today, the last couple of weeks, I have just been having this tremendous sense that God wants to establish something deep within us. And without going back through our history, which a number of you in this room are actually privy to, this was a deposit that the Lord had given to us as an early, when this church was early planted, in the, in the movement in which, in the partnership it was planted within, the works and the manifestations of the Spirit were commonly presented and seen within the church. And there is a deposit of that that is ours as an inheritance that I want to reclaim or recapture, if you will. And the purpose of that reclaiming and recapturing is what I have been saying the last couple of weeks. That the church is positioned uniquely now in this day and age to be an answer in an era, in a world that's consumed with the supernatural. While it wouldn't use that language, the language I've been using is the transcendent. It's consumed with the transcendent. And now here the church finds herself today, the embodiment of transcendency of the power and the presence of the risen king as we again experience this morning. To manifest that, not, not so that we would necessarily feel like that we have harnessed something on our own, if, you, if that makes sense, but that it would encourage us as a people to say, God is with us. It's a blessing, the manifestation of the Spirit, because it reminds us of God's desire and ultimate goal to dwell with his people. And so it's not just for our benefit, and as I'm going to say this morning, I just want to bring two introductory foundational truths to this conversation of spiritual things, this works of the Spirit in the church, referred to as gifts here in the text that we're going to look at this morning to remind us that God is with us, that God has empowered his church for mission, that, that you, while finite, while still sinful at times, are filled with the spirit of God who functions and operates outside the confines of this temporal and physical world, who reveals himself to each human being be it through creation or be it through a manifestation of the grace of God through us to reveal himself and to make himself known. That is why he has given us these gifts. And so again, I just want to say, regardless of where we fall, would you just commit with me to pursuing the Lord in faith for these next number of weeks? Let your... Let your 
presuppositions of these things. Let your past experiences, good or bad or neither, just let, let them be for the time being and let the Lord ignite something within us together simultaneously. Amen? Okay. So last week, I essentially left asking the question, what are the powers? So I've been talking and just referring to Hebrews and the statement that we are those who have tasted of the powers of the age to come. And I was talking last week both about the manifest power and the manifest presence, the real presence of God who was with his people when they come together in the unique nature of the church. And I left us all with basically just a question saying, well, what then are these powers and how are they experienced? How is it that these, these powers of the age to come, how are they actually experienced in the church when the church gathers? And so to answer that, while maybe perhaps this isn't the complete answer, this is definitely a significant portion of it, I want to turn to the subject which is commonly referred to as the spiritual gifts. And in 1 Corinthians, would you please turn with me at this moment? We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want to just look at the first seven verses this morning. And I just want to say, I'm not going to try to rush, because I feel like, and I'm not going to try to cram too much in from week to week, but I feel like just to take bite-sized chunks, if you will, that together, when put together, create a picture of a, of a healthy and vibrant and robust New Testament church. And I just want to say, too, this morning I was reflecting, man, on the early church in Acts 2 and just how Peter, after, as the Holy Spirit, listen, church, as the Holy Spirit descended upon those individuals in that room that day, and Peter stands up and he quotes from Joel, and my heart was just stirred with what Peter says. And he talks about, in those days, that young men, young women, and he says servants, even male and female, basically saying every individual will experience the outpouring of the Spirit and the result of that outpouring will be visions and dreams and prophecy. And I just had this overwhelming yes in my spirit this morning as I was reading that Acts chapter two. Brothers and sisters, each and every one of us, as I said last week, the Spirit of God has come upon us to be used in this way. Whether it's bizarre to you, whether you're completely comfortable with it, whether you believe it or not, I want to show us this morning that this is the design of God for his church. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 14, and Romans 12, Paul is going to list expressions of what he calls Gifts, and I'm not saying gifs or gifts for all you millennials. You're getting really excited about a study on gifts. I, and listen, I, I'm, you can tell I'm not a millennial because I don't even say it the right way. I refuse to call them gifs because that was a peanut butter to me when I was a kid. So you remember gif peanut butter? Oh, someone said what? Strike that from the recording. Anyway, spiritual gifts. G-I-F-T-S, gifts. So he lists in 
12, 14 of 1 Corinthians and Romans 12, gifts that when manifest in and through his church, listen, when the gifts are manifest in and through his church, they are proof of the eternal and transcendent God who is not only powerfully alive, right? Because when the power of the Spirit comes, it is powerful, who's not only powerfully alive, but he is intimately present. And that was what I was talking about. For those of us who are believers, to comfort and to encourage and to stimulate faith that says God is with us. So 1 Corinthians, let's just look at it. I'm just kind of skipping and editing. I apologize for the pregnant pauses. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord, except in the Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given. Say that with me. To each is given. Do you believe that? If you don't, that's okay. But it, I'm going to say it again. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And I just want to tack Paul's words in Romans 6 when he says then, let us use them when he talks about the apportioning of the grace of God to each believer and for, through the gift. And Paul says, let us use them. To each is given. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So I want to take just these seven verses this morning. As I said, I want to extract two foundational truths that we're going to build off of and that we'll keep in our minds and in our hearts as we look from week to week at the variety of gifts and activities that the Holy Spirit enacts within his church. And I want to begin by just saying that I'm a bit frustrated and I have to repent to you guys now at this point as a leader, I have a preconception of what these are. And I have to say that I fall in the spectrum of them being both good and bad in my opinion of what I have experienced. I don't say bad as in it was, you know, traumatizing. But there is residue in my heart, church, where because I have seen what I believe are excesses, that I have done this, and I have myself, and unfortunately in this church, the effects of it is that I believe I have squelched the manifestation and the work of the Spirit. And so now I find myself, but I just, I trust the Lord in his sovereign timing. I find myself wanting again and desiring because I feel dry, and I, I feel at times dull. Even when I gather with the church In moments, I just feel as though I'm not experiencing all that God has really intended. And I hate what it has become at times, now presently in the church, to the point where this is motivating me 
to say, wait a minute, I'm not willing to just concede this anymore because of what I have perceived to be. And I'm going to leave room, obviously, for error in my interpretation and experience, but what I have perceived to be unhealth in this. And I'm not willing to leave it to the hyper-charismatics. I'm not willing to leave it to, you know, whatever segment of evangelical Christendom you want to identify. But I am intent on recapturing it in a biblical and healthy means. That we could be a part of the true church that manifests rightly and truly what the Bible says about such a vitally important topic, which I am convinced of at this day and age. And as you just browse the web, it's, it's like I'm just disgusted, you guys, of what I see. And listen, I'm not, I'm not doing this tongue-in-cheek, but I wanted to just share this with you. Because as the church does so well, we have made this important and, and, and extremely exemplary habit of the church, something that, ex- that, that, that resembles and points people to Christ, something so important, we've made it about ourselves. We've made it, you know, a man-centric, me-centric thing. And so I just wanted to share this with you because I was a little bit taken aback. But listen, this is where a, a large segment of the church falls today. So listen to this. These were some things that I came across online as I was looking, some, some post titles, unwrapping, does that say unwrapping? Unwrapping your spiritual gifts. Finding your spiritual gift. How many, I mean, you could probably, some of you are, can attest to having heard this, been a part of this maybe even, or maybe this is something that you've been convinced of. Spiritual gifts, what's yours? This one I liked, it's like using an iPhone. Tips for using your spiritual gift. <laughs> Listen, these are real, you guys. These are real articles I came across this week. What are your spiritual gifts? Take our online test. And this one, oh, no, it wasn't this. It's the next one. How can I get a spiritual gift? And this was mine. What to do? No, this one. Unique gifts. A bit of a play. Listen, church, I know it's, it's kind of funny, but it's a sad testament of what a big portion of the church actually believes and perceives about this. And when what's wrong with this picture? It's, yeah, it's me. It's focused around what is right for me, what, what even might perhaps fulfill my desire, what do I have, what do I possess, what do I harness. It's, it's, like a, it's almost like a spiritual fashion show where the church has been like, and then take a look at my prophecy. It's like, put itself in like a fur thing and it's like in my... You know, and it walks down the runway. I mean, this is the picture that we get of the church at times. This is grieving to the Lord. It's grieving to the Lord, and it has undermined the power of the church in a needing world. Because we've gotten it wrong. We've gotten it wrong, church. So, two things that I want to draw out of 1 Corinthians 12. And I will do it quickly today. This is just a bit of a a survey, if you will. The first is this, concerning the gifts. The manifestations of the gifts 
come from God to us by his spirit. That's the first foundational truth. The manifestations of the spiritual gifts come from God to us by his spirit. Again, remember what, oh, I didn't read it, but Paul says in 12.6 of Romans, according to the grace given to us, from God to us by his spirit. And listen, just that statement alone is so significantly, significantly clarifying and important because it removes the onus off of us. It takes everything away from us, doesn't it? Yes. And it puts it into the hands. Listen, I was thinking about this. When we understand the origin of the gifts as God has designed it, it puts them in the hands of a perfect, all-knowing, unchanging, completely and perfectly merciful and loving God. What better place for them to be when it comes to things that are of the supernatural, right? I, you don't want them in my hands. I'm going to muck it up. And sometimes we even still do, and we'll talk about that, because the reality is, is we are a vessel for the grace of God. And as vessels, we make mistakes at times. So manifestations come from God to us by his spirit. And secondly, and just as importantly, to finish the thought is that they are, in, they are intended not for us individually, but for others. So it comes from God to us by his spirit for others. And Paul talks about this in the text that we look at. And in verse 7, he says, it's for the common good. It's not for yourself, it's for the common good. And so you'll notice that straight away, church, that those two simple truths that, again, are foundational to this, to this study and to this conversation, those two simple truths, they, they, they fly in the face of all of those statements that I pulled from online. It's, it's the polar opposite of that. And so I just want to take those two, and in the next 15 minutes or so, is just break them down. And so as to the first, there's kind of two parts of it, that it, it comes from God to us by his Spirit. And so as to the first, looking at verse 1 in chapter 12, and this is important for us to notice this. Most of the translations, including the ESV that we read here this morning, most of the translations, with the exception of, of the, 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 you know, the more common standard ones, with the exception of the New Living Translation, translate the phrase in 12.1 of spiritual gifts, which in the Greek is a word that is pneumatikos. Pneumatikos. It takes that one word in the Greek and it translates it to spiritual gifts. But I actually think that the New Living Translation helps a little bit more or gets us a little closer to what I want to say here this morning. And the New Living Translation says it like this. It says, this is Paul speaking, regarding... Your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, it says. I don't want you to misunderstand this. And I think, as I said, it gets us just a little bit closer because, and, and, and the point of this is that this word in the Greek, pneumatikos, this is what it means, that it, it's that which is produced by the sole power of God himself without natural instrumentation. So it's essentially, it's that which is truly supernatural, it has nothing to do with us, per se, in terms of its inspiration and its facilitation. It's solely the work of God and God alone. In other words, it's the things of the Spirit, they come from God 
They belong to God, and they are according to God's will and not man's will. That's an important distinction. This includes the gifts, which he's going to then expound on in verses 8 through 11. Earlier in the same, in the same letter in, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 2, Paul's going to use this word, this pneumatikas. He's going to use this word when differentiating between that which the Corinthians once were and that which they now are. They were of the world, but now they are of the Spirit. And he says this, and you can look, you can write it down or you can turn if you want, but in chapter 2, verses 12, Paul says this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand freely the things given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting pneumatikos, he says, spiritual things. Interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. It's the same word. And so then one could say, church, that the gifts listed in 8 through 11, which we've not yet looked at, but you are probably familiar with, are simply an extension of spiritual people. So Paul, right from the onset, he's saying, listen, I don't want you to be unaware of spiritual things. And I think that where the English translation has not been helpful is it's put the emphasis in the wrong place at the onset of Paul's communication. The emphasis for most of us, especially because then he goes into it, is on the word gifts. But really, as we can see here, because of the definition of this word, it's really on that which is spiritual. I don't want you to be unaware of spiritual things, church. We must not be unaware. And that's what I'm talking about. The Lord has just kind of rekindling this in me to no longer be unaware, even though that was a choice that I was making myself. So I don't want you to be uninformed of spiritual things. And so the emphasis is in the wrong place here oftentimes, at least in our mind as we read it. It's not on the gift. Otherwise, he would have used the word that he's going to use in the remainder of the verses, which is the word charisma or charismata. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. That's the word for gift that Paul uses as we see it through verses 8 through 11. But he doesn't use that word here. He uses pneumatikas to speak of spiritual things pertaining to spiritual people. His emphasis is on the nature and the origin of the manifestations seen as in various forms within the church as being spiritual. So from the onset, Paul's instructing the church in matters of the divine and of the spiritual, that which comes from solely by God's power and is given to his church, not the gift itself. And as to the second part, it comes from God and it comes to us by his spirit. I said this a moment ago, but I want to say again, we have to resist the temptation to compartmentalize and separate the manifestations and the, and the works of his spirit, the manifestations of the spirit from his other works. Listen, the spirit of God, brothers and sisters, which, raise your hand if you believe that the spirit of God indwells you when you come into faith. Put your hand up that if you believe that. Okay, the majority of us here, if not all of us here, believe 
that when we are made regenerate, the Spirit of God indwells our body. We are spiritual beings. And the work of the Spirit, church, the work of the Spirit is pronounced all through our life. It's the Spirit of God that brings us and regenerates us. It's the Spirit of God that gives us faith to believe. It's the Spirit of God that allows us and causes us to persevere. It's the Spirit of God that that teaches us to resist the temptation of sin and to say no to it. It's the Spirit of God that, that, that assures our heart of our future hope. So why is it that we so easily and readily accept all of these doctrinal realities of the work of the Spirit, but yet when it comes to the manifestations of the Spirit, which is just an extension and another aspect of his working, why is it that we go, I don't know if I accept that or not? We are spiritual beings that have been made alive by the Spirit, whom the Spirit indwells and whom the Spirit moves in and moves through for our own betterment, And now we must expand our understanding to also include for the common good. The Spirit of God indwells each and every one of you, church, for the common good. For the common good. Be who you are in Jesus Christ. And if you're uncertain, take your online test. If you're uncertain, (laughs) if you're uncertain, ask the Lord in faith and in earnestness to begin to use you for the common good. And so this this reality of the work of the Spirit in our life, that this is just another form, if you will, of his work, is Paul's point in what seems to be a little bit of a disjointed interjection of verse 3 between verse 1 and then the rest. Because he says this. So he says, I don't want you to be uninformed of spiritual things. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit in the heart of a man or a woman by which they confess that Jesus is Lord. This was Paul's point. You know that it's the work of the Spirit in your life. Therefore, these are some more manifestations of the work of the Spirit in your life. We have to move to a place of faith where we believe, not not that we are just open to, but church that we are deeply convinced to the point where we pursue the work of the Spirit when the church gathers. And please, 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 don't forget what I've been saying the last couple weeks because I felt like it was very much inspired by the Lord to lay the groundwork for this morning and for where we go to. Again, when the church gathers, oh man, there is a supernatural reality to the church being together. And I'm telling you, church, the Lord wants to manifest his presence in even a greater way when we are together. As we begin to believe, as we begin to allow our hearts to be open, and then even beyond that, as we begin in faith to pursue them together, the Lord wants to manifest himself here with us. Surely we can then expect this powerful spirit 
the same Spirit which raised Christ Jesus from the dead to empower our present bodies through miraculous and mystical means. And I just want to point out, without getting too far into it, but just to say, I want you to notice the beautiful Trinitarian pattern that Paul points us to and and shows us in verse 4 when he says, there's various gifts but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And man, here again, Paul just brings in this beautiful, robust theology. And this is something that has been long said in this church, that all of God does all that God does. Do not compartmentalize God and the Spirit and Jesus. It's the Trinity. All of God does all that God does. And that includes the work of the Spirit as manifest in his church. It comes from God through the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ in the impartation of the Spirit upon his church for the common good. And then he goes on in, in verse 4 in that word where he talks about these sovereign activities being spiritual. The, the word there, and I found that to be so helpful as I looked at it as well, the word for activities in verse 4 is, a, is another Greek word, and I won't try to try to pronounce it, but it's essentially, it's where we get the word energizings. There's, there's, there's a variety of energizings that happen by the Spirit of God in different manifestations. And that too takes us away from this idea which is so commonly taught that I have the gift of prophecy and that is what I do. I have the gift of service and that is what I do. Listen, there are inclinations, I believe, based off of how we are wired. But it is to say that it is God's choice and it is God's spirit that empowers us in God's timing for God's work. Be that a word of insight or knowledge. Be that a dream. Be it a prophecy. Be it a tongue or an interpretation of a tongue. Regardless of what it is, What is our role in all of this church? To be obedient, to obey. That is what our role is. To be open, to be desirous, to be faith-filled, and to understand that when we gather, this is what happens. And so in all this, Paul is essentially saying, listen, church, I, I don't want you to be uninformed, and I'm just saying this to us again today. I don't want you to be uninformed, church, Capital City Church, about certain spiritual things that are, that are a result of your spiritual nature. Because it's God's design to manifest himself among us through various and different energizings and empowerings for the good of the church. That makes sense, doesn't it? I'm, I'm probably not saying anything profound other than hopefully just laying a logical and reasonable description of what the Spirit's work is in the church. So then as we begin to get into these specific topics in the weeks to come, we can just remember like, okay, maybe I don't fully understand this, but you know what? I believe that God has given this to us. His word says it has. It's, it's reasonable and, and logical, if you will, because God meets us in our minds. He doesn't bypass them always to say like, okay, yeah, th- there's some, actually this makes sense. So if someone were to stand up and say, you know, I believe that I have a a word in a tongue this morning, that we would say, okay, that seems reasonable. 
because my Bible tells me that that takes place. And then as we'll see, it also tells me that there needs to be an interpretation for that tongue when it is brought. <clears throat> and so this, this landing then on this, this second that the, the gifts are not given to us as individuals, but they are given for the common good, this is where now I believe that the word gift is helpful. Because what is a gift but something that's given by one to another for their benefit and pleasure? That's what a gift is. And the greatest example of this that we see is the gift of Christ Jesus to the world. The Bible calls this gift grace. Jesus Christ was the grace of God. That's James 2. He says that for, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. And that uh, John talks about it in his gospel in John chapter 1, that we have beheld his glory in speaking of the incarnate Christ, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the grace of God. He is the free gift of God, the unmerited gift of God. And that word for grace in the New Testament is, guess what? The word charis, which is the root of the exact same word that Paul is using here to speak of the gifts. These gifts, church, listen to me, they are the grace of God extended to his people. Like we've been talking about the nature of the Lord's table and the impartation of grace, the impartation of the divine ability to live this life, the impartation of grace for faith to continue, to persevere, to, to be reminded of who we are, and on and on and on. They are impartations of grace. The gifts that we will look at in the weeks to come are simply extensions of the grace of God, the charisma or the charismata of God to his church. And why? For the common good. Because what happens? Because we're encouraged. We're reminded of what God is doing. Or we're called to bring ourselves back into alignment of what God is speaking in this time. There's all sorts of benefits and, and reasons by which the grace of God moves in and through his church for their common good. And we'll look at those as well. So these manifestations of the gift, gifts among the church are not spiritual tools. Listen, they're not just simply spiritual tools in the hand of a, of a master who knows how to wield them precisely. That's not what Paul is saying here. Remember, the context of 1 Corinthians is there's a ton of correction because they're jacked up. So they are obviously not the, uh, the master journeyman of spiritual gifts. No, they're, they're common. They're you and I. These gifts are manifestations of grace by the Holy Spirit upon ordinary individuals that enables them to serve God's church. That's what these are. And so this connects our two points. Again, that they are in fact from God. Just as Jesus Christ was from God, the, the charis or the grace gift to the world, so too are these manifestations of grace given by God to us for another's benefit. Listen, they are not gifts that we receive, which is often how we think of those things as stated up earlier. They're not gifts that we receive, church. They are gifts that we give. It's gifts that we give for the mutual encouragement and benefit and building up and edification and unification of God's church together. 
And so Paul's going to go on to specify these various grace expressions, which may perhaps be a better description rather than spiritual gifts. He's going to go on and he's going to describe these various grace expressions that are expected and experienced when he moves upon believers to serve the church. And we'll look at those as I said. So just this morning, as a reminder, church, let's take these two things and hold them as we move forward. That spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. They are from God to us by His Spirit for others. And just helpful, I read this this week, and I thought I would leave it with you because it expounds this point, and we can use it essentially as a working definition moving forward. And it's this definition, and I really liked it, and it's this right here. A spiritual gift is when the Holy Spirit manifests his presence and imparts his power into and through individual believers to enable them to exceed the limitations of their finite humanity so that they might faithfully and effectively fulfill certain ministry tasks for the building up of the body of Christ. That is an excellent and comprehensive description of what spiritual gifts are. And so I ask you to just come on a journey of faith with me, would you, church? Of believing, and again, leave your presuppositions behind, and let's believe and expect that God is going to breathe a, a fresh fire, if you will, or rekindle and ignite this flame that is ours as in Capital City Church. For the betterment of this church, and for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So we'll get into more as the weeks go. Hopefully that's helpful. Would you please stand with me as I just thank the Lord and we end. Father, I thank you. They are gifts. Lord, you have given to us gifts. And Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you first and foremost, Father, that they are a reminder of God with us that they encourage and stimulate our heart and our faith to remember that the same spirit that raised Christ, raised Christ Jesus from the dead indwells our mortal bodies. And it is that same spirit that empowers us for life and ministry under the glory of your name. We thank you that that is a constant reminder, Lord. I ask, Father, that you would fan into flame these gifts within the church. I pray, Lord, that each one of us, as we have identified where we fall in terms of our belief, desire, slash expectation, Lord, as we have identified that, that you would come in to, to just so, so graciously lead us, Father, into correct understanding. And Lord, I ask that this would be, as we've said in weeks past, that this would be a church that as unbelieving hearts come into or come into contact with, that their hearts would be open, as Paul says. That, that the depths of their hearts would be laid bare before a merciful God and that they would confess with their mouths that God is among us. Father, we do not ask for these things for ourselves. We ask them for you. We want to be a church that is a true and authentic expression of New Testament Christianity, providing hope, providing clarity, providing statements of truth 
and expressions of love into a world that so desperately needs it, that is lost. Lord, may us, may, would you help us see those who are lost before us each and every day, that they would be a motivation to understand these things better and more rightly. Help us, Lord, we pray. Meet us where we are limited and in our finite humanity, Lord God. Meet us, we pray. And I just want to end by thanking you, Father, for meeting us with your presence this day. Oh, God, as it was said, what an important and significant moment this is for us. May we be energized by it. May we hold to it. May it be an anchor for our hearts and minds as we go through the week, knowing that we have met with you, knowing that we have been encouraged, knowing that we have been conformed in some way more into your likeness, Lord God. Lord, glorify yourself in us and in this church. In your name we say together, amen. Amen. Amen.